Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Good? All right. I heard all of you laughing. You are terrible. Watching four-year-olds get tortured. That is so sad. So uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of your pastors here, and I'm glad that you came to church today. We've been in this series called Badish, and we're going to continue today talking about those sins that, yeah, they're just kind of bad-ish, right? Now, I'm going to start out by showing you some shocking vulnerability, okay? So it was about 18 years ago. I had just graduated from seminary, and uh, I was now pastoring a church down in San Diego. And uh, I, let me just say this church was one of those Southern-style churches. And so what that means is that there were potlucks every weekend, and it was good cooking good cooking. You know what I'm talking about, where like the church secretary and she would, she would make mashed potatoes. And I think it was like one part mashed potatoes and two parts butter and salt. I mean, it was so good. Now, here's the problem. After living like that for a while, I have to confess that I was tipping the scales at a, at a healthy 250 pounds. Okay. Wow. Right. I know. Great skin, but kind of chunky. Okay, so 18 years ago. So I had a regular checkup with my primary physician, and basically she sat me down and said, um, I don't know how to put this like in a very, you know, with, with a lot of bedside manner, I'm sure, but she, she pretty much said, you're going to die, fatty. That's what she said. She explained to me that I have a lot of genetic things that are not exactly working in my favor, so I really needed to lose weight. Now, having been a high school wrestler, I knew how to lose weight. I knew how to self-regulate and have willpower and all of those things. But see, here's the problem. When you try to do something of that magnitude under your own power, you're probably not going to succeed. You're going to need help. So I asked God for help. Okay, and, and God was faithful, and, you know, he helped me do the work, and sure enough, you know, it's been 18 years, and I've managed to keep off 60 of those pounds, for better or for worse. So, oh, thanks for that. Oh, thanks, everybody. And so I've got a new video coming out. All right. So sometimes we might think of self-control or lack of self-control as one of the more tame sins. Like, ah, oh, this isn't, it's not that bad if I just have one extra dessert, you know, or one teeny tiny second glass of wine in the evening, you know. That's a teeny tiny <laughs> second glass of wine. Or maybe I just give one quick second glance at that attractive person walking by in yoga pants. Um, hey, it could be a man or a woman, no judgment, no inequality. All right, but I think this is the thing. Uh, I want to challenge us that self-control or lack of self-control could be among the more dangerous of these sins because I think it's what I would call a gateway sin. Lack of self-control sort of greases the tracks towards other sins, and in a culture which encourages or even sometimes glorifies addictive behavior, lack of self-control is the way that we're drawn into full-blown sin. We say, hey, just one more dessert or glass or glance. One more isn't going to hurt. 
But Scripture warns specifically against that kind of thinking. So, let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this and figure out how we can get this thing under control with God's help. Let's pray. Father, this morning, um, we're here today acknowledging that we are imperfect creatures, and so we ask God that you would give us the strength, the wisdom, and the help from each other to achieve your perfect plan for us, and we ask it in Christ's name, amen. All right. So, lack of self-control seems to be one of those respectable sins that author Jerry Bridges warns us about in the book, Respectable Sins, which is what we've kind of based this series on. So, we're going to spend some time today looking at how this process happens and how we get sucked into addictive behaviors by habitualizing poor self-control. And then we are going to figure out how we can choose instead to rely on God's power for help. So, let's start out by taking out our outlines. If you have your outline in your program, please follow along. And we're going to look first today at someone named Solomon, our friend King Solomon from the Old Testament. Now, he spoke to the topic of the importance of self-control very frequently in the book Proverbs. We're going to just take a look at one right now, Proverbs 25, 28. And Solomon writes, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, how do broken down walls illustrate the absence of self-control? Well, in Solomon's era, a city's walls were its defense against invasion. Remember how God destroyed the walls of Jericho so that Joshua's army could enter in and subdue it? See, once a city's walls were gone... It was open to constant attack. And so that's why a person without self-control is like a city without walls. Solomon's explaining that God has given us self-control to serve the same function as those walls. It's the defense against the attacks of temptation, which most often are actually born within. And let me tell you, Solomon was more than qualified to speak on this topic. If you take a quick look at his life, he was the wealthiest king of that era. He was the son of David, and he had the means to get whatever he wanted without restraint. I mean, he was like, you know, giving your kid a credit card to go to Santana Row. That's, he could like, he could have anything he wanted. But Like someone with a credit card at a shopping mall, the bill always eventually comes due. Now, the scripture tells us that Solomon had 700 wives. Let that sink in for a second. 700. How is that in any way a good idea? (laughs) 700 wives, Solomon. Okay. And so what's worse These wives were from nations which God had prohibited intermarriage with. So these wives were a bad idea, not only practically, I mean, imagine the the crowd, you know, like the school turnaround pickup thing, right? But, But also, they were a bad idea because they would encourage disobedience in Solomon. Solomon did not respect God's boundaries about marrying women from these nations. So what we see here in this illustration is that Solomon disregarded self-control, 
gave free reign to his passions and ignored God's commands. Now, I can imagine him rationalizing, right? Hey, I know God said not to do this, but you know, I'm the king and I work hard. I need some self-care, right? Have we ever used self-care as a justification for poor behavior? Come on, let's be honest. Okay, maybe I'm just preaching to myself today. So guess what happens? He begins to allow his wives to slowly but surely pull him away from God. Ultimately, he was so disobedient to God that what happened next was that during the reign of his son, Rehoboam, Israel was split into two, and it was never the same after that. And this was a result of his disobedience, his lack of self-control. Now, What have we learned from this? Well, let's take a look at some lessons from Solomon, okay? Now, I I have to warn you, because this part gets dangerous. This is the air quotes section of the message, all right? I do this for emphasis. Please be cautious. First of all, lack of self-control leads to rationalization. It leads to rationalization. How often have I done this? I mean, we Come on, we all do. You know, sure, it's just one more. It's just one more fill in the blank with whatever your temptation is, right? For some of us, it might be, oh, it's just one more dessert. You know, it's just, I'm under my carbs for today. Just one more. For some of us, eh, maybe it's just one more drink, one more glance, One more time on the internet looking at things that I shouldn't. One more conversation with somebody that I probably should not have any contact with. We know all these different things, but this is what we say. It's just one more, but I deserve it. I deserve it. And so we rationalize. And the problem is that then the rationalization leads to disobedience. It leads to disobedience. Once we've convinced ourselves that abandoning our self-control is no big deal because it's just this once and I deserve it, then we take the plunge and we do what we know is unwise and unhealthy and out of bounds. We rationalize first and then we take the plunge and that is the disobedience. And then, of course, disobedience will always lead to consequences. Disobedience leads to consequences, much like the trip to the shopping mall leads to the consequence of the credit card bill. We're disobedient to God, and before we know it, we have a new habit or a new hangover or a new belly roll or a new addiction. You see, this is the problem. Lack of self-control leads us into a trap. And that trap is the trap of habits and addictions. Repeated behavior that is unwise and unhealthy. Now, I have to say, I think that we live in a culture that encourages addictions. And you might scoff at that and say, no, Mike. I mean, yeah, things are kind of loose, but they don't encourage addictions. Really? Okay. Um, 
yeah, okay, yeah, okay, cigarettes. They have a warning label, right? They have a warning label, sure, right? Or, or commercials for alcohol, right? They have, you know, like all these bombardment of these hypersexualized images of people who look like they're having the time of their lives and everything. And then at the end, for like 0.7 seconds, drink responsibly, right? I mean, let's be honest. Okay, our culture pushes us into addictive behavior so that we will get addicted to things that we pay for. Now, Scripture tells us about this. If you look at James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, this is what we read. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Notice the wording, our own desires are what entice us and drag us away. We can illustrate this. I'll I'll put up a little chart here, all right? Our thoughts lead to desires, and those lead to temptations, and those temptations lead to sin. That sin leads us to sinful habits, which can lead us to addictions, which ultimately leads to death and destruction. James is warning us the consequences of giving in to our desire. It's falling into sin. When we say yes to the desire to do what we want, without restraint, instead of trusting God and obeying Him, sin is born. And after sin is born, it grows up and it produces death and destruction. Now we're going to take a look at this continuum again, and um, we're going to learn how the further along you progress, the more difficult at every stage it becomes to regain self-control. Like, I'll, I'll give us an example. I'll give us an example. All right, let's say that you're married. And let's say that maybe marriage is, you know, there are challenges, right? Because there are ups and downs. And you start to wonder, you start to wonder if maybe life would be easier if you were single again. Okay, spoiler alert, it's not. All right, but maybe you begin to wonder. And so, this is a thought. A thought that if given enough energy will turn into a desire. So you can keep thinking about it or you can stop here and remember the promises that you made to your spouse and that God made to you. So you can either continue forward or you can stop right here. This is the easiest place to stop when it's just a thought. If not, and if you continue to think about this, you start to move along the chart here. You daydream. And then maybe you meet someone who seems attracted to you, and that is as powerful as any drug. All right? So then what happens is you find that your thoughts have grown into 
desires. Okay, and then your mind starts to consider maybe a possible alternate future than the path you're on now. Nothing has happened yet. So you could just put this whole matter to rest and and move along. You could make up your mind to stop fantasizing and to avoid this person. You know, take Mr. Miyagi's advice, right? Daniel-san, best way to avoid punch, no be there. Okay, and that is very good advice for life. This is why I use this all the time, because it's such a great illustration. But it's more difficult at this stage but back when, than back when it was just a thought. So if you don't stop here and take Mr. Miyagi's advice, you begin conceiving of ways to accidentally bump into this person or find excuses to communicate with this person. And either they or you will eventually confess to attraction. And at this point, you are officially being tempted. You've moved along the line to temptation. Now, you could still pull the plug here, but it's much more difficult now. It's much more difficult. Sin is at your door. So will you answer? If you do, if you give in and proceed, well, then now you've officially entered into sinful behavior. Now, at this point, maybe the gravity of the situation will snap you back into reality. And at this point, you could confess to your spouse and you can seek forgiveness and you can go get some counseling and you can pray together. So it's still fixable. But if not, then the path that you have chosen continues along in the chart. It now becomes a habit. And what started as a thought or a daydream is now a full-blown affair. And it's killing you on the inside, but you're either too caught up or you're too fearful to turn back. It's very, very difficult to stop now. It's a habit. Now, let's say that the affair ends, as the vast, vast majority of them do. I mean, maybe you recognize that, hey, this relationship started in infidelity. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to trust this person. Maybe you figure that out. Maybe you think, if they were willing to cheat with me, they might be willing to cheat on me. And I cheated too. Ooh, this isn't going to end well. All right, so maybe you think that. So at this point, maybe you decide, I'm going to go confess to my spouse. You're going to hope for the best. And the spouse is going to ask, how long has this been going on? Guarantee you. On the other hand, even if the affair ends, you might not choose to confess, and you might now find yourself attracted to someone else, and it's going to be a little bit easier this time, and the whole cycle repeats itself. Now, you're addicted. You are addicted, and you can feel yourself dying on the inside, and more than likely, you're eventually going to get caught because most people do, and at that point, The likelihood that you can convince your spouse to say is practically zero because you've hit death and destruction. You have reached the culmination of our chart. There will be life-altering pain. There will be crushed dreams and emotional violence that can never be undone. You say, wow, Mike, you're, you're pretty graphic with this illustration. Well, because that was my story. I was on the other side of it. My wife made those choices, and now I'm a divorced man who doesn't want to be. 
And you know, we, we use the illustration of being unfaithful to a spouse, but it's just as easy to see this with any other possible addiction, whether it's substances, pornography, whatever it is. Anything that we can become addicted to causes death and destruction. Wow, Mike, this is pretty gloomy and doomy. Okay, let's turn the corner. Let's start moving towards the solution. What is the solution? The good news is that the solution is what I call God-powered self-control. God-powered. Not the same as willpower. God-powered self-control. You could be skeptical. You could be saying, ah, Mike, I'm still not convinced. I can abstain from the really harmful things while still indulging in what's harmless. I mean, fudging on my taxes a little bit, that's not the same as having an affair. Or an extra dessert isn't the same thing as a second hard drink, I guess depending on, you know, who made the dessert. Right, Ellie? You know what I'm talking about. So... It's in my notes, it says Paul, but Paul's on vacation. <laughs> so the video that we saw at the beginning illustrates this principle. And you know what? Let's take a look at the explanation of that, and then I'll go on. This is among the most famous experiments in the history of psychology with implications for economics. In which a group of four-year-olds were given one marshmallow and told that if they could wait to eat the marshmallow after being left alone with it for a while, then they would be given an extra marshmallow to eat. Most eat the marshmallow as soon as they are left alone with it, but some other children are able to resist temptation. About one in every three is able to hold off. And YouTube is replete with videos of kids struggling to not eat the marshmallow. So what's the big deal about self-control? The big deal about self-control is if you have it, you're able to actually pay attention to the teacher and to learn. Psychologist Walter Michel devised the marshmallow test 50 years ago, running it on hundreds of preschoolers at Stanford University. Twelve years later, he found significant differences between those who had wolfed down the marshmallow. They were now found to be more easily frustrated, indecisive, disorganized, and those who, as tots, had been able to control themselves. They were now more confident, self-reliant, and get this, scored about 200 points higher on the SAT. The powerful economic message is that if you do exhibit self-control at an early age, says Michelle, you've got a much better chance of taking the future into account and likely to have better economic outcomes. The hot system is the limbic system in the brain. And it is reflexive, immediate, emotional. So in order to slow that hot system, you have to activate the cool system, the prefrontal cortex. The problem is that the hot system goes up when stress goes up. When stress goes up. Now, parents in here, let's just get this out of the way, right? I know the first thing that caught your attention in that video. So I'm just going to recommend right now, when you are tempted to pull your kids out of church on a Sunday for an SAT class, just model self-control instead. <laughs> You're welcome. But the lesson in this video is that our brain chemistry has a lot to do with self-control. And in fact, our brains can actually be rewired for delayed gratification. 
Why does it matter? Well, because it's scientific proof that we can have greater self-control and we can resist the temptations that turn into sins and habits and addictions. In fact, we must, because if not, biblically speaking, the results are clear. Check out Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, don't misread this scripture. This is not a list of things to not do. What this is, is a description of the result of living a life without God-powered self-control. So there's a battle going on inside of us, and how do we get to the point where we win that battle? Well, there's great news, and the great news is that God fights for us. God fights for us. In fact, God has promised us that increased self-control is actually a direct result of living a life of obedience to Him. Increased self-control is a direct result of living a life of obedience. So if we seek God's kingdom, if we love others, if we walk by the power of His Spirit and align our desires with His, we'll see self-control as a result. Let's look at Galatians 5, 16 to 18, just before. Paul writes, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. Meaning that when we let God's Spirit control us, we don't have to worry about the rules and the do's and the don'ts because God's Spirit guides us into that obedience. Now, here's what I was mentioning before. Let's go down to verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There it is. God's Spirit produces self-control in our lives. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Now, that passage, what we call the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, fruit of the Spirit, and there's a difference. The reason I think sometimes we misteach that passage is we teach it as a to-do list. That is not what Scripture is telling us. The fruit of the Spirit is not a to-do list. Instead, the fruit of the Spirit is not something that you do the fruit of the Spirit is something that you be. It's something that you be, and this is what I mean by that. Think of it this way. 
An apple tree does not produce the best apples by trying hard. That's not how it works. The apple tree does not strain and strain. The apple tree produces apples because it's an apple tree. Now, apples should be its natural product. The best apples are produced when the tree, hint, hint, that's us, the tree, when the tree has its best nutrition, when the tree has the sunlight and the rain and all the things that the tree needs, that's where the best fruit comes from, not from trying hard. It's not willpower. So if you don't have a good crop in your garden, talk to your plants. I don't, know. I don't even know what that means. So how do we facilitate this? Let's wrap up. How can we partner with God to put ourselves in position to receive His power? That's the nutrition, God's power, so that we can be more fruitful, so that we, as the trees that produce the fruit of the Spirit, so that we can be more rooted in God's Word, so that we can grow up healthy and strong. Well, I think there are some things that we can participate with God in here. I think first, we can stay planted in His Word. Stay planted in His Word, because this is God's primary way of speaking to us. So we have to make it part of our daily routine, just like eating. It's got to be part of your daily routine. You wouldn't not eat any given day unless you're specifically fasting for a reason, but the normal state for a human being is to eat. Well, just the same way, the normal state for us should be to receive God's Word and that nutrition every day. As Moses wrote in Deuteronomy, and then Jesus said later on, people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And when did Jesus say this? When he was being tempted. He said, no, I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The next thing I would suggest is that when praying, we spend time quieting our hearts and listening. Well, Mike, when I'm praying and you say, listen, does that mean I'm going to hear a voice? Well, um, probably not. But God's Spirit does speak to our hearts through thoughts and through impressions. Check out what the first half of Psalm 4610 says. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Quiet your heart and listen for God's Spirit. Next, I would suggest we seek God's wisdom through wise counsel. Find, this is called accountability. Find people who will give you wisdom to help you get through tempting situations. Proverbs 12, 15 says, Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. You can just scratch out fools if you want and put your own name right there. Mike thinks his own way is right, but the wise listen to others. And I would also encourage us, don't wait to make decisions until the moment. Set your stance, standards in advance so that you don't find yourself in those tempting situations. Remember Mr. Miyagi, best way to avoid punch, no be there. Remember that. Don't wait until you're in the heat of battle to make the decision. Remember those WWJD bracelets? I know they still make them. I know they still make them. And I, we can all appreciate the heart behind this idea. 
But Jesus did not advocate on-the-spot decision-making. Well, I'm going to go ahead and get myself into a tempting situation here. Oh, wait a minute. WWJD, <laughs> gotta run. I mean, that's, no. Don't, you know, if your temptation is, one of your temptations is alcohol, don't go into a bar with your buddies and, the, oh, hang on, guys. I better stop at four. I mean, come on. Don't put yourself in the situation. Now, some of you here might be thinking, hey, I, Mike, I really want to be more obedient to God. What steps should I take? Well, I think the easiest thing we can do is be obedient to the very clear examples that Christ himself gave us. Be obedient to those, and then it'll become easier to know what we need to be obedient to in other things through God's Spirit. So, for example... In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? Love God and love others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Clear command. Very easy to understand. Not necessarily easy to be good at, but easy to understand. Jesus told, him, told us in Matthew 6 that we need to demonstrate forgiveness. Hey, God forgives you. You need to forgive others. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus commands us to go and share the good news. Doesn't mean stand on a box and preach on a street corner. It means that you share your faith with, with your friends. You let them know what you have found. And we also, from that passage, we also remember that we were commanded to be baptized. Matthew 28, 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You have an opportunity coming up on March 21st and 22nd. And as Angela mentioned earlier, if you are interested or even if you're just curious about baptism, then go ahead and write baptism on your communication card. Now, when you do that, you're not committing to be baptized, okay? Nobody's going to grab you that morning and throw you in a tank. You're just saying, I want to know more. I want to know more about it. And finally, if you're here today and you don't know how you can have access to this power that we're talking about, let me assure you that God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Your responsibility is to turn around and go the other direction. Turn away from your self-focused life. Ask Jesus to forgive you and follow him. John 1.12 says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And if you would like to know more about how to build a relationship with Christ on your communication card, there's just a little checkbox there. I want to know more about starting a relationship with Christ. I think the takeaway for us today is this. We have to remember that God is bigger than our willpower. So when it comes to self-control, we trust his power. Now we're going to go to the part of our service where we collect an offering. This is where we give back a little of the gifts that God has given us. Now, if you're here today and you're a guest, please feel no pressure to give financially. But we do ask that during the offering, when it goes by, please everyone take your communication card and drop it in the offering. And then the band is going to lead us in a song for the offering. And I really encourage you with this song. It's a song that teaches us about surrendering to God's power and giving him control. During that song, please stay seated because we want you to really focus on what the band is saying. So let's pray.
Father, we come before you today asking that you would help us to trust your power for self-control, Lord. Help us not make excuses or rationalize, but help us to admit that we need your help. We ask that you would now take this offering, bless it, and use it to help people in our community. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.